Welcome to the Freedom from Empty podcast, building strong, effective, resilient leaders and humans. My name is Booth Andrews, and I am your host. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. This episode is the second in a five-part series exploring some of the life circumstances that can lead to burnout and how to identify some of the signs that stress is starting to wear away at your effectiveness, health, and overall well-being. Each episode also explores one of the research-based well-being activities or rituals that can help you recover and begin to restore your equilibrium. We have four sources of energy, mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Each of these sources can be challenged much like a muscle, but also just like a muscle. Recovery is where the growth actually happens. Most of us overexert and fail to recover in some areas and underexert in others. Overexertion without recovery can lead to injury and illness, while underexertion leads to atrophy. This episode explores what it might look like if you are running on empty at work. It also explores a restorative practice meditation, which benefits all four sources of energy. At the conclusion of this podcast, I hope you will go to at the Booth Andrews on Instagram and comment how you know that you are starting to run on empty and what type of recovery rituals help you start to recalibrate. So why does well-being at work matter? There is growing evidence that the long-term health of a company's bottom line and the health of its employees are, in fact, very much aligned, and that when we treat them as separate, we pay a heavy price, both personally and collectively. Individually, we compromise our health and happiness. For businesses, the cost will be exacted in dollars and cents, talent retention, and diminished productivity. But the reverse is also true. What's good for us as individuals is also good for business, and actually for countries too. Sick care is a lot more expensive than healthcare. Studies show that U.S. employers spend 200 to 300% more on the indirect cost of healthcare in the form of absenteeism, sick days, and low productivity than they do on the actual healthcare payments. In the United Kingdom, stress results in 105 million lost workdays each year. So what are some of the signs that I've seen or experienced that indicate that someone is running on empty at work? When we get to a place where we believe that we cannot actually unplug from work, when we get to a place where we believe work-life balance is a joke that someone made up and it's not funny, when we haven't taken a real vacation in years, or when you do go on vacation, it actually takes three days to wind down, And then you start winding up three days before re-entry. So let me tell you what this looked like in my life. When I did go on vacation, which was once every few years or so, the vacation usually starts, what, Friday or Saturday? I wouldn't actually start to decompress until Wednesday. And by Friday, I would start gearing up again. And this was not a voluntary behavior on my part. It just happened. Monday anxiety sets in on a Sunday. I've used this phrase with audiences and so many people come up to me and relate and say they start worrying about work on Sunday night. They completely miss part of a day or part of an evening because they've already started to worry about what's coming next. 
If you feel a sense of dread about what is piling up while you're away from your office and it's easier just to stay connected because you're afraid when you go back, you're going to be totally overwhelmed. If you pride yourself on being busy or a workaholic, workaholism is one of the only isms, if not the only ism in this country that seems to be completely socially acceptable. When you start to feel burned out or on the verge, or when you know that just because of the circumstances that are happening in your place of employment, maybe there's been a merger, maybe there's been a significant transition in the business or the leadership, maybe there's a transition happening at every level and in every aspect of the organization. All of that chronic change results in change fatigue and it can also result in burnout. One of my other episodes talks about the difference between stress and chronic or toxic stress. But the short answer is, when we are living in a state of constant stress and we do not recover, that stress becomes toxic and starts to break down every system in our body. For me, what much of what drove my workaholic tendencies was anxiety-related. As human beings, we often feel anxious about things that we cannot control. In my first career, the anxiety was grounded in being afraid that I was going to get caught not being perfect. I had a perfectionist boss, and I did everything in my power to meet his expectations. It took me at least six months to completely unwind after leaving that job. When I began my second career, I was much more grounded in how I wanted to show up in the world and as a leader. And for the first couple of years, I was very intentional about managing the inputs that would allow me to be the leader I aspired to be. But after I got pregnant with my third child, whom I desperately wanted but had no idea how I was going to manage, and then my mom's cancer diagnosis changed to imminently fatal, I found myself unable to sit still. And work was a place I felt I had efficacy and influence over my circumstances and outcomes. At home, everything felt out of control. I liked the way I felt at work. I didn't like the way I felt at home. And I was compelled to keep moving to hold those negative and scary feelings at bay. Our anxiety is grounded in our brain telling us that something is terribly wrong or is about to be terribly wrong in the future, even when, in truth, everything in that moment is absolutely okay. And this is where meditation comes in for me. In the present moment, connected to our breath, all is well. And we also learn to observe and allow ourselves to feel scary emotions without fear and without judgment. Meditation has been found to decrease mortality, decrease death due to cardiovascular problems, increase levels of antibodies to the flu vaccine, decrease the severity and length of colds, lower pain intensity. Meditation actually changes us at the genetic level. It switches on genes related to augmenting our immune system, reduce inflammation, and fight a range of conditions from arthritis to high blood pressure to diabetes. And because of these benefits, it correlates to reduced yearly medical costs. A study using the MRI of the brains of Buddhist monks showed that the trained mind or brain is physically different from the untrained one. And when the brain is changed, so is the way in which we experience the world, which automatically changes how we respond to what is happening in our life, our level of stress, and our ability to tap into our wisdom when making decisions. 
the building of your strength, equanimity, and wisdom is actually very tangible and measurable, which is how Matthew Ricard earned the moniker, the happiest man in the world. After placing more than 250 sensors on Ricard's skull, Richard Davidson found that Ricard exhibited gamma wave levels, which are high frequency brainwaves, never before reported in the neuroscience literature, indicative of an atypically high capacity for happiness and reduced tendency toward negative thoughts and feelings. Meditation also helps lower feelings of loneliness among the elderly. It helps military veterans experience lower levels of PTSD. It reduces depression among pregnant women and teens, and it increases positive emotions, including love, joy, gratitude, contentment, hope, pride, compassion, self-acceptance, positive relationships with others, and amusement. Meditation may be a wonder drug, but it does need to be regularly refilled. So to get all of the benefits of meditation, we need to make it part of our everyday lives. So I have found the practice of meditation to be challenging in my own life. I've actually believed in the benefits of meditation for many, many years, and I have struggled until recently to actually have a regular meditation practice. I heard someone say yesterday, and it is so true, that knowledge does not by itself beget action. For me, my brain likes to tell me that meditation is hard or it takes too much time. So I have an exercise that I would like for you to do with me right now. If you are not operating a vehicle of some sort, I would like for you to close your eyes and focus on your breath with me for the next 10 seconds. Congratulations, you just meditated. There are a number of apps out there that provide both guided and unguided meditation exercises. Some of those are Budify, Calm, and Headspace. I like to lean on the Calm app because I don't have to think or plan my meditation. I just have to press the button on the app and follow along. While in the perfect world that lives in my imagination, I would meditate seven days per week. I actually set a goal for myself to meditate five days per week. And now I've actually gotten to the point where I truly notice a difference in how I feel on the days that I do not meditate. The cultural norms that celebrate overworking, never taking a vacation, and being always accessible are making us sick as individuals and as organizations. If you are a leader, your employees are going to follow your lead take your vacation. And when you go on vacation, truly disconnect. Set boundaries for yourself, blocking off a certain number of hours each day when you are not going to be checking your email or immediately available unless in the event of an emergency. Stop sending emails at four in the morning. I finally started turning off the forward on my work email when I went on vacation so I wouldn't be tempted to check it on my phone. And I encourage you to explore a meditation practice. You don't have to meditate for hours on end every day or every week to get the benefits. Even with a few minutes per day done consistently, meditation will generate a multitude of positive benefits. I hope you will go to at the Booth Andrews on Instagram and comment how you know 
you are starting to run on empty and what type of recovery rituals help you start to recalibrate. For more information about the work that I do with individuals, groups, and organizations, go to boothandrews.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Booth Andrews. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already, please hit subscribe and remember to rate this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I look forward to being back with you next time. Humble Pod Production. Stay humble.